It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Dana Perino. I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm Rachel Campos Duffy. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, October 30th, 2023. I'm Mike Emanuel. With war in the Middle East moving to a new phase and ongoing war in Ukraine, a key lawmaker says the commander-in-chief must stand strong on the world stage. When we are spread across the globe, when our military industrial complex cannot keep up with the demands and there are multiple wars on multiple fronts, we have got to show peace through strength. And I don't believe Joe Biden is, is not doing that right now. I'm Chris Foster. We're coming to the end of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. When it comes to a breast cancer diagnosis, we are in a very different place now than we were 10 years ago and certainly 50 years ago. And I'm Mark Thiessen. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The House of Representatives is again open for business after Republicans unified behind Louisiana Republican Congressman Mike Johnson. Speaker Johnson says on the agenda this week will be funding for our critical ally in the Middle East, Israel. We're going to move a standalone Israel funding bill this week in the House. I know uh, our colleagues, our Republican uh, colleagues in the Senate uh, have a similar measure. We believe that that is a pressing and urgent need. Kansas Republican Senator Roger Marshall explained the need for prioritizing that funding. Israel will most likely have three fronts within the next 10 days. So they need these weapons yesterday to protect themselves. If the president lumps us together with the Ukraine funding, it's going to take months. On CNN, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan talked about the need for Israelis to be precise in their ground operation in Gaza. What we believe is that every hour, every day of this military operation, the IDF, the Israeli government should be taking every possible means available to them to distinguish between and are this terrorists who are legitimate military targets and civilians who are not. With crises abroad and tough issues at home like the flood of migrants at the southern border and inflation, the new House Speaker Mike Johnson walks into the job at a challenging time. Florida Republican Congressman Byron Donald says Johnson is the right person for this moment. For Speaker Mike Johnson, I am happy for him. He's going to do a tremendous job leading the House of Representatives. You have a man of impeccable character, impeccable integrity, and uh, the members have rallied around him. We're going to get back to work and do our jobs. And one of the eight Republicans who voted to oust former Speaker Kevin McCarthy says Johnson is a unifier. Well, he was the only candidate that could bring everybody together, all different corners of the Republican conference. It took one vote on the floor to get all 220 of us who were there that day to vote for Speaker Mike Johnson. Congresswoman Nancy Mace is a South Carolina Republican. And I'm proud to say he's the most conservative speaker of the House we've had in our lifetime. And I think he'll be a tremendous leader for our conference, for the House of Representatives, and for the nation. Of course, with such a slim majority staying unified, it's going to be critical. Do you think he can do that? Mm-hmm. Yes, he is honest, he's trustworthy, and we finally have a speaker that we can be proud of. 
the former speaker was the kind of guy who literally in one day told House Freedom Caucus members we were absolutely impeaching Joe Biden. Two hours later told House moderates we were never going to impeach Joe Biden. And here's a guy who's a constitutional attorney. Our new speaker of the House is a constitutional attorney, and he understands due process, understands the Constitution, understands the law. And he's going to tell the truth, and you're already seeing that, whether we're talking about the impeachment inquiry, whether we're talking about Israel aid and support, all these things that we have to address, the border, et cetera. We've got a guy that we can be proud of who's honest, who's going to tell the American people the truth, and I'm excited about his future. Speaker Johnson said on Fox News on Sunday that he was going to separate funding for Israel from funding for Ukraine. Do you think that's wise to get Israel funding on the floor as a separate item? I do. I think every funding bill we have should be a separate up or down vote. And I also hope that and all of this will be border security for our own border. We can't invest more in other nations' borders than we do our own because our own southern border is a huge national security threat. We don't want the same kinds of terrorists coming across our southern border that are going into Israel. And so um, I believe that Speaker Johnson's got his eye on the ball and he's looking out for the American people, and we're just thrilled about it. November 17th seems to be approaching very quickly, less than a month until the government could potentially shut down if agreements aren't reached about government funding. A lot of work to be done to ensure this is no longer a concern. Are you confident something will get done in terms of either finishing those funding bills or some kind of short-term government spending package? Well, if the appropriations bills can't be done, then I believe you know, we'll have to look at a short-term stopgap spending measure, whether it's January 15th or February, March, or April of next year. But in the interim, because we've wasted this entire year after we were promised we would have a budget, have the separate spending bills, we were even promised a balanced budget. That never happened either. It's my hope that Speaker Johnson, regardless of what happens November 17th, that before the end of this year, that we will get started on next year's appropriations so that we're not looking down the end of a barrel. Let's talk about what's happening in Israel. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said Israel is expanding ground operations in northern Gaza through what he calls Israel's, quote, second war of independence after Hamas's brutal invasion. Do you believe expanding the ground operations is the best move to hopefully free hostages and or bring this conflict to an end quicker? Well, that'll be up to Netanyahu, Israel, and the IDF on how they want to proceed going forward. Israel so far has done a good job in responding to the attacks. And we're talking about barbaric terrorism. That is what Mm -hmm. Hamas is. And Israel has the right to defend herself in any way that she sees fit. Um, I I have an even greater concern, though, because... America looks weak on the world stage. And if you saw Erdogan from Turkey yesterday speak and say that Turkey could come into the night, any any night at any moment, and attack Israel. You're seeing a trifecta between Putin, the regime between Xi Jinping and Putin and Erdogan and Iran. You know, they're trying to come together and forge a new superpower. And um, it's a very scary time. And when we are spread across the globe, when our military industrial complex cannot keep up with the demands and there are multiple wars on multiple fronts, we have got to show peace through strength. And I don't believe Joe Biden is is not doing that right now. And that's why next year is more important than ever that we have a strong president. If our country is strong, the world will be safe. 
Do you feel like for Israel's long-term safety and security, they must eliminate Hamas with this conflict? A hundred percent. Hamas needs to go, needs to go completely away. We need to eradicate barbaric terrorism in the Palestinian area, in the world, what they are doing. I mean, the stories, the videos, they are horrific. These are not real humans, real people. They are so disgusting and barbaric. They deserve everything that's coming their way. The president also authorized some airstrikes uh, with American forces in the region going after Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps in Syria. Late last week, they've been launching attacks on American forces. And so the commander in chief authorized a response. What do you think of that? Well, I'm concerned because why do we have these bases in Syria and in Iraq? This would not have happened if we had if we did not have a military presence there and having a presence around the world where we are today has weakened our military has weakened uh, americans defense strength and it is deeply problematic because now all these nations are coming to us for more funding and more lethal aid and non-lethal support and we're just spread so thin around the world this should have never happened and we should not be in syria we should not be in iraq i don't even know why we're there right now hmm. um what do you think our enemies are you know, basically assessing in terms of the president's performance when it comes to places like how we support Israel, how we support Ukraine. And do you worry about what China may take away from the president's authorizations? Well, we're seeing our allies express grave concern over our ability to keep up with the demands, not only of our nation, but our allies as well around the world. And Mm -hmm. when you see the $33 trillion of debt, when you see uh, how difficult it is for us to support our allies financially or with lethal and non-lethal aid, it becomes enormously problematic. But now you're hearing world leaders express this concern publicly. And and that should pique the interest of every American today because we've spread ourselves out. And we have weakened our ability to beef up our defenses on demand as needed, not only for ourselves, but for allied nations. And something has to give. And we have to be more efficient with the way that we expend our resources financially and otherwise from a defense standpoint. And um, we need to have this conversation. It's very serious times and potentially with very serious consequences. This entire conflict across the Middle East has made many Americans worry about how this could affect the safety of the United States, with some expressing concerns about the possibility of terrorists entering from our southern border to commit further acts of terror. Uh, What do you think about that? Well, it is happening. I mean, we're going to have the largest import of terrorists in our country uh, in our lifetime, probably, because President Biden has not shut down the southern border. They want to turn their head and look away and ignore all of the war fighting age men coming from the Middle East who are on the terrorist watch list. They want to ignore it and pretend it does not exist. And something has to happen. Either we impeach Mayorkas uh, and we and we fix the southern border, but the southern border has to be shut down. And I think that has to be a part of any conversation when we're talking about supplemental aid to Israel, Ukraine, et cetera. Our southern border has to be put first. Do you feel like the president is paying attention to the border at this point? Uh, For a while there, it seemed like he wanted to look the other way. He absolutely is looking the other way. And so is Secretary Mayorkas. They would rather attack our, our brave men and women border patrol agents 
than than fix the situation down there. We've had a record number of illegals come across our border than I've seen ever in the 45 years that I've been alive. And to think that everything is hunky-dory down there is just a lie. I mean, Joe Biden is living a lie regarding the southern border. What do you anticipate when you come back into session here in Washington? You've got a new speaker. Uh, Obviously, you and your fellow colleagues are eager to get back to work. What are some of the immediate priorities in your view? Well, the immediate priorities will be have to be our southern border, looking at how we can aid and support Israel. Um, there will be censorships on the table from both sides of the aisle. There's a looks like there's going to be some tit for tat uh, between Republicans and Democrats, which should not be our focus. We need to focus on what our nation's needs are now, and that is getting out of control spending under control, and that's going to take some time. But also addressing our own concerns here at home. We have to put our nation and America's people first. Have you been surprised by some of the progressive members of the so-called squad basically condemning Israel and or quick to jump on uh, suggesting it's Israel's fault when things go badly in the Middle East? It's shocking. And in fact, when we had it looked like a couple hundred folks from one of the Palestinian protests come in, they were encouraged by Rashida Tlaib, who kept repeating lies that Israel bombed that hospital and killed 500 Palestinian women and children, which was a complete fabrication. But you're you're seeing members of the squad like that, that are encouraging the anti-Semitism that we see in the country today. And I will tell you, I get so many calls from Jewish folks in our community in South Carolina that are scared, that are worried, that see this increase in anti-Semitism, that see this increase in violence against Jews, and it's burned, it's spawned from a lot of these anti-Israel rhetoric, the anti-Israel protests, and those things are being led by members of the squad, like Rashida Tlaib and Alana Omar and AOC and, and the likes of all of those that have a horrible position on Israel. I don't know how you can watch what Hamas did to Israel and then go and defend Hamas. It's un-American. Congresswoman Nancy Mace of the great state of South Carolina. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great week. Thank you, Mike, as always. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. This is Mark Thiessen with your Fox News commentary coming up. There have been walks, runs, and displays of pink around the world for Breast Cancer Awareness Month and organized campaigns since 1985. This year's theme, no one should face breast cancer alone. First Lady Jill Biden spoke at a cancer survivorship summit hosted by Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz in Florida. Cancer doesn't care who you vote for. It's not a red issue or a blue issue. It's a human one. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women after skin cancer. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says every year on average about 240,000 women get diagnosed with it and 42,000 women die from it. Well, Breast Cancer Awareness Month um, in the breast imaging world, you know, it's a very important month for us to do everything we can to make sure that everyone really increases their awareness when it comes to the importance of early detection of breast cancer. Fox News medical contributor Dr. Nicole Sapphire is a radiologist with special training in breast imagery. But also try to educate people on different ways to prevent breast cancer from occurring. 
What's interesting is a huge study came out in the last couple of months in JAMA, essentially talking about how we're starting to see more cancers in younger people. One of those cancers being breast cancer. So what does that mean in younger people? Well, I'm talking about women who are actually less than 40. And now there are many reasons for this. Um, a lot of it does have to do with our lifestyle and some of our environmental um, exposures. For those that remember, Make America Healthy Again was a book that I came out with a few years ago. And I tried to inform people that about 50% of all cancers could potentially be prevented with just some very simple, basic lifestyle choices. Some of the biggest ones are maintaining healthy weights. It just means, you know, eating a little bit healthier, making sure you walk a little bit more, taking the stairs a little bit more and doing everything you can to get yourself to the healthiest weight. Unfortunately though, when it comes to breast cancer, the biggest risk factors are being a woman and getting older. So there's nothing you can do about that. But that is why we encourage women who are at average risk for breast cancer to start getting their screening mammograms at the age of 40 and get one every year after. Because the earlier we find the breast cancer, the easier it is to treat and the better chance we have at good outcomes. Yeah, it used to be that women were advised to get mammograms every other year starting at age 50, unless you know you had specific concerns, uh, like maybe symptoms or family history. Were a lot of cases in, in women in their 40s, like a lot just not being caught? Breast cancer recommendations, like when you're supposed to start screening and how often you're supposed to screen are extremely confusing. And that's because everyone kind of disagrees on some things. Now you have to know that some of the people putting forth recommendations, they're more looking at things from a cost analysis. They're saying, well, maybe we don't pay for a mammogram every year for everyone. And we'll just accept that diagnosing cancer later on, you know, we still have good treatments and it'll be okay. A big study that came out of Harvard several years ago showed that the cancers that tend to develop in 40 to 50 year olds are the more aggressive ones. And so by not screening this population, sure, maybe not as many women get breast cancer in their 40s, but those that do, those cancers tend to be more aggressive and they tend to grow faster and therefore they have a higher likelihood of spreading to other sites of the body sooner. Money being no object, or you have the best health insurance in the world, what do you tell women who don't have symptoms, who don't have a particularly nasty family history? Of the, start earlier, go every year? Less than a third of people who get breast cancer actually have family history. So when people start walking around saying, oh, I don't have family history, you know, I, I doubt I'll ever get breast cancer, two thirds of women who get breast cancer don't have a family history. And when you think of the genetic mutations like BRCA1, BRCA2, um, that's only five to 10% of women who get breast cancer. So that just puts the rest of the women at what we call average risk for the most part. There are some other things that can increase your risk, but average risk women who don't have a lump or don't have any current breast complaints, the recommendations that I follow are the American College of Radiology and the Society of Breast Imaging. We recommend starting annual mammograms at the age of 40 and getting one every year until you get older. And at that point, you start having a conversation with the physician as to whether or not, you know, what's the risk and benefit of continuing mammograms as you get older. Um, but I certainly will recommend that for average risk women that they start at 40. I know that breast density uh, is a risk factor. Talk about that a little bit. Breast density is something that I have been passionate about for over a decade. I worked with legislation in Arizona, New Jersey, and New York to actually help pass the breast density notification laws. And what that is, about 50% of women have what's called dense breast tissue, which means there's more breast tissue than fat in the breast. 
And with that, it makes the mammogram a little bit harder to find the cancer. Thankfully, we now have 3D mammography, which is able to pick up more cancers. But one thing that we have found is that if you do the mammogram and you also do ultrasound in women with dense breasts, we're able to find even more cancers. And having dense breast tissue itself slightly increases the risk of breast cancer. So if a woman has dense breast tissue, I certainly recommend getting an ultrasound as well as the mammogram to find some of those tiny cancers that may be missed on the mammogram. Uh, we know that there have been public service announcements for years and years uh, advising women, you know, check your breasts in the shower. What are some other, other than lumps, what should people be looking for? Um, what symptoms are, are, are fairly common that, are, that could also be confused with something else? A big thing to re remember is that 1% of all cancers occur in men. And so while men tend to have symptoms on their chest, they tend not to go to the doctor. So when a man actually comes presenting with some sort of symptom, they tend to have more advanced breast cancer and it's much harder to treat. So when I try and educate people about the different ways breast cancer presents, I want to make sure that the men know that men have breasts too, and this applies to them as well. So breast cancer can come in all shapes and sizes. First of all, the reason we get mammograms is so that we find breast cancer before you even feel it. But if you do find something, a change at all, a lump in the breast, changes in the skin, the skin can be itchy, the skin can be flaky, there can be a rash, the nipple can start inverting or going inside, or it just starts itching itself. These could all potentially be signs of breast cancer, including bloody nipple discharge. If any of that shows up, even if the woman has recently had a negative mammogram, you still go to the doctor because something may have been missed. Nicole, there's a warning this year um, about aspartame. Is that something that, that people should be concerned about? Also, I know birth control is considered uh, a bit of a risk. There's a, a cost benefit to all of this stuff, right? Listen, when you actually look at the Western diet, there's a reason that we lead the world in chronic illness. Um, we lead in cardiovascular disease, preventable cancers and other, largely because we consume a lot of very unhealthy foods. You know, we probably drink too much, we smoke too much, and we fill our stuff with artificial sugars and chemicals and other things. And obviously, all of this has some consequences when it comes to our health. For me, I tell people that they should just be doing everything in moderation because you can live your best life. You could do everything right, eat very clean, be so healthy, and bad things can still happen. Cancer can still form. But we also don't want to be egregious in some of our habits that will definitely increase our risk of cancer. So, you know, I try to avoid those artificial sweeteners. The topic of, you know, fertility treatments and birth control as they pertain to breast cancer risk, there's a lot of conflicting literature on it. Um, the overall consensus for fertility is that it doesn't increase the risk of developing breast cancer. Um, I think you know, there still needs to be more research on that because if you are giving high doses of hormones, obviously a lot of breast cancers are sensitive to those hormones. There is a slight increased risk of breast cancer when it comes with birth control pills. But one little caveat that people don't necessarily know about is the more babies you have, and if you breastfeed, that actually decreases your risk of breast cancer. As a radiologist, what do you know, what do you think about the use of artificial intelligence going through you know, if AI can go through millions and millions of scans, 
that's better than what humans can do, right? It's sort of a wisdom of the masses, but it's a, but it's but it's a computer program. I think AI is going to be um, extremely important into the future of radiology. I mean, it already has been in the last decade. We've been using various AI programs for a long time before AI became the cool thing to talk about. Um, I have some concerns. I obviously don't think that it will ever replace the radiologist because even of the data that we're seeing right now, the quote unquote cancers or precancerous lesions that AI picks up that the human eye doesn't pick up could probably be fit into the what we call overdiagnosis category. And they're picking up things that won't necessarily turn into an invasive cancer in the future. So I think there still needs to be a lot more tweaking of the AI when it comes to identifying these cancers. Um, but I think with the human eye and AI working together, I think that this is going to be the path forward and will really enhance our ability to diagnose cancers early. Yeah, so maybe maybe using artificial intelligence as a, a red flag thing to, hey, maybe take a second look at this rather than doing actual diagnoses. Absolutely. And to be honest, we already have programs like that that we use. Just make sure that, you know, it's a double check. I think we would all want to know that our doctors, our radiologists, that everyone's having a double check when you're talking about someone's survival. Dr. Sapphire, let's leave this on a hopeful note. Things are getting better in the fight and, and treatment just over time, right? When it comes to a breast cancer diagnosis, we are in a very different place now than we were 10 years ago and certainly 50 years ago, we have women who were finding their cancers when they are less than a centimeter and they are living their lives as though they never had cancer. Now, we also have women who have metastatic or stage four breast cancer, and they are still living for decades because we're almost starting to treat metastatic cancer the same way we treat other chronic illness like diabetes. And this is incredible. It's not the death sentence that it once was. And so while our treatments and our screening techniques have really advanced, which is extremely hopeful, and there's a lot more coming down the line, especially with immunotherapy, my biggest message continues to be, while not all cancers and illness can be prevented, we have to do a little bit more to decrease our risk of some of this illness. Because if we're not in the best place physically and mentally, then our body is going to give out on us at some point. So we have to control what we can so that we're prepared when things out of control happen to us. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, Fox News medical contributor. She's a board certified radiologist um, with advanced fellowship training in breast imaging. Dr. Sapphire, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, the first hearing on a trial stemming from the Justice Department's antitrust case challenging JetBlue's proposed acquisition of Spirit Airlines. Tuesday is Halloween. Be sure to have your costumes ready and be stocked up on sweets. Wednesday, all of West Maui will reopen to tourism after the deadly wildfires that tore through parts of the Hawaiian island earlier this year. And the Federal Reserve will make its November interest rate announcement with experts anticipating the key rate to remain unchanged. Thursday, the Minnesota Supreme Court hears arguments in a case brought by voters attempting to keep former President Donald Trump off the 2024 primary and general ballots in the state. Friday, President Biden welcomes South American leaders to Washington for a summit on migration. Saturday, qualifying for Sunday's NASCAR Cup Series championship race at Phoenix Raceway. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Matt Napolitano, Fox News.
Hey, everyone, it's Kennedy, and you can listen to my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It's going five days a week on the Fox News Podcast Network. We're bringing you all the fan favorites. Listen on Spotify, Apple, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Mark Thiessen. What's on your mind? For millions of Americans listening to Congressman Mike Johnson for the first time Wednesday, the new House Speaker made a really good first impression. After he accepted the Speaker's gavel, Johnson's first message was directed not to his fellow Republicans or to conservative voters, but to his Democratic opposition. Quote, I know we see things from a different point of view, he said, directly addressing House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. But I know that in your heart you love and care about this country and you want to do what's right. And so we're going to find common ground. End quote. He went on to say, quote, we're going to fight vigorously over core principles because they're at odds sometimes. But we have to sacrifice sometimes our preferences because that's what's necessary in a legislative body. For a guy nicknamed Maga Mike Johnson, it was a decidedly untrumpian start. Johnson exuded the kind of grace and magnanimity that many despaired had been irretrievably lost in our politics. It was what the country desperately needed, and it was exactly what House Republicans, whose reputation has been shredded over the past three weeks of embarrassing dysfunction, desperately needed. Now the question is, will he be able or be allowed to deliver? Or will Johnson's pledge of bipartisanship be, like President Biden's inaugural address, just another broken promise to unite the country? Will Johnson be a leader who understands that he controls one half of one branch of government and that the way to advance core principles is to elect more people who share them? Or will he be pushed into launching pointless kamikaze missions that fail to advance conservative principles? Johnson is a full-spectrum conservative, but it was significant that the conservative hero he invoked was Ronald Reagan. In his farewell address, President Reagan explained the secret of his rapport with people, he said. They call me the great communicator, but I was just communicating great things. The new speaker then defined those great things. Individual freedom, limited government, the rule of law, peace through strength, fiscal responsibility, free markets, and human dignity. Those, he said, are the foundations that make us the extraordinary nation we are. And you and I today are stewards of those principles. This much is certain. Just as Reagan supported freedom fighters across the globe fighting Russian expansionism, the Gipper would have stood squarely with Ukraine. Johnson has voted four times against aid to Ukraine, but in his speech he pointed out that, quote, we stand at a very dangerous time. Turmoil and violence have rocked the Middle East and Eastern Europe. We all know it, and tensions continue to build in the Indo-Pacific. The country demands strong leadership of this body, and we must not waver. He further promised, quote, this speaker's office is going to be known for decentralizing power here. If Johnson keeps that promise... The will of the majority, which supports Ukraine, will prevail. He has just three weeks to pass a government funding bill. That means he'll need to compromise right off the bat. What happens if he can't get a deal done in that time? Eight House Republicans, intent on pushing Kevin McCarthy out of the speakership for passing a continuing resolution to keep the government open, joined with 208 Democrats to kick him out of the speaker's chair. And thank God Kevin McCarthy did get that resolution passed. Can you imagine if we were in the midst of a government shutdown when Hamas attacked Israel? Well, what will happen if Johnson, as speaker, takes a similarly responsible approach. He seems to understand the gravity of his assignment. He talked about being the son of a firefighter who was critically burned in the line of duty when Johnson was just 12 years old. Quote, he lived with pain all the rest of his life for decades to come, Johnson said, and I lost my dad to cancer three days before I got elected to Congress. Three days. And he wanted to be there at my election night so badly. One night in 2017, a few weeks after joining Congress, Johnson said, he was presiding over the House, listening to Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee Quote, winding down one of her long, eloquent speeches, unquote, he said, to peals of laughter from both sides of the aisle. And he looked up at the top of the chamber, quote, and I saw the face of Moses staring down, and I just felt in that moment the weight of this place. He said he had not been able to grieve his father's death, 
and at that moment he started to cry. It wasn't Sheila's speech, I'm sorry, he said, to more bipartisan laughter. I just knew in that moment that my dad, my father, would be proud of me. And I think all the American people at one time had pride in this institution, but right now that's in jeopardy. And we have a challenge before us right now to rebuild and restore that trust. Let's hope and pray he means it. I'm Mark Thiessen. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.